Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 9:30. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we will begin a new study. As you know, if you are a faithful listener, we have been in Paul's epistles to the Church of Corinth. Oh, our study on Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I think, uh, took us what over six months to complete. So. I think we have over 90 podcasts in our archives, so if you are interested in Paul's letters to the Church of Corinth, please, you can go to my website at joholcraft.org, just hit the Listen Shows link there, and you can find all of those podcasts on Paul's letters to the Church of Corinth. Now, all of that being said, I did ask you, well, where do you want me to take the show? Where do you want me to take uh, Seeds of Truth Radio? And so let me tell you what I have decided. Now, it does appear that we are going to take up an Old Testament book, in particular one of either Genesis, Exodus, or the prophet Isaiah. Okay, so Genesis, Exodus, or the prophet Isaiah. Those seem to be the three books that you are interested in. I haven't decided which Old Testament book because I have also asked to do something else, which I'm going to do first, and that is treat the shortest letter in the New Testament— A lot of you had questions and have had questions over recent months about Paul's letter to Philemon, the shortest letter in the New Testament. What is the value of such a short letter? So I I looked at that question and the other questions surrounding Paul's letter to Philemon and thought, you know, it would be good to take stock in those 25 verses. Now, this will only take us a couple weeks. We are going to go through this verse by verse But being that it's only 25 verses, this won't take us very long. So in two weeks from today, we are going to start our new study in one of those three Old Testament books. Now, our study on those Old Testament books will be on Monday and Tuesday. What will air on Wednesday will be a new program with Father Mike. Father Mike and I um, have been discussing some themes, some topics, and we're, we're still doing that. But certainly there has been a positive response on having Father Mike Ritter as a guest. So he's going to join me weekly, so I'm excited for that. And then, of course, on Thursday, we will continue our special topic programming, uh, that program that is tailored to your questions. So Monday, Tuesday will be that Old Testament book. Wednesday will be with Father Mike, and Thursday will continue to be special topic Thursday. And I am excited about this new programming. It's always good to start something new, right? It's always good to just get a fresh start with something. And here on Seeds of Truth, as We have been at this now for almost 11 years. It's incredible to think about that, almost 11 years. It's good to be engaging some new subject matter. Now, speaking of new subject matter, how about Paul's letter to Philemon? Again, as I've noted, 25 verses. Paul's letter to Philemon is one of what is known as the three captivity letters or prison letters. And and by that we mean letters that he wrote while in captivity or while in prison. The other two are his uh, letters to the Philippians and also to the Colossians. Now, in these captivity epistles, there is a particular sentiment that comes out of where he is at. 
in prison. He is writing from a place of supposed darkness, is he not? I mean, when you hear prison, when you hear captivity, when you hear jail, when you hear any of that, there's a sense of being in the dark. But what's so striking about these captivity epistles is he isn't in prison saying, oh, poor me. Oh, look what has happened to me. Feel sorry for me. No. St. Paul continues to have that kind of laser-like focus on one thing, bringing souls to Christ, persuading in the art of debate souls to Christ. Nothing gets in his way. We talked about this in his second letter to the church of Corinth, did we not? And it's as if in his suffering, the art of persuasion, the art of pastoring souls to Christ becomes that much more convincing because of his profound suffering. So my dear friends, I think there is a lesson here for you and I to appreciate that no matter what happens to us, we can, by the power of God and in the grace of Jesus Christ, not say, poor me, but rise up, rise up and continue to give glory to God. We can only do this in faith. We can only do this in the gift of faith. Because in the gift of faith, we have that virtue that can now bear the weight of our existence, bear the weight of everything that we are going through. Without faith, without God, we cannot bear that weight. There is a reason, my friends, tragically so, that we are seeing suicide rates go through the roof because people can no longer bear the weight of their existence. And having folks who are close to me who have tragically decided to take their life be rest assured, my friends, I am not being insensitive here in as much as hoping to identify a reality that is, that is going on. When you remove God, when you remove your life from your very purpose to serve and to give glory to God, it will not end well. So, that being said, what I would like to do is to consider some background pieces to Paul's letter to Philemon. You know, I did say that uh, we will be in this letter for a couple weeks. If we're going to do this right, we really do need to um, dot the I's and cross the T's, because if we don't appreciate such things as destination, purpose, themes, characteristics, we're really not going to grab hold of what this letter is all about. Now, as it relates to destination, Paul addressed this letter to a believer and slave owner named Philemon, as well as, as we read, to Aphia, who is probably his wife, and to a Christian leader named Archippus, who is probably his son. We don't know for sure, but the evidence suggests that we, we are dealing with his wife and his son. Nothing in the letter specifies where these individuals lived, but the close connection between this epistle and Colossians certainly suggests that Philemon uh, resided either in the area of Colossia itself or in a neighboring city, probably somewhere in the Asia Minor, which is today, of course, uh, modern-day Turkey. Now, in support of this, it is commonly held that the slave Onesimus, or as you may have heard it pronounced, Onesimus. Onesimus is probably the better pronunciation. It is commonly held that this slave, Onesimus, who is mentioned in verse 10, is the same man that Paul sent along 
with uh, Tychicus to hand deliver the letter to Colossians. So presumably they would have delivered this epistle as well. So we note these points as it relates to destination because I think, again, it just helps the backdrop. Huh? And if you're looking for resources, I'm drawing in particular from the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. And when I mention Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, understand, my friends, what this commentary is all about is really getting into those first Christian teachers, getting into those church fathers. How did the first Christians interpret the sacred text? Certainly we give commentary to that here on Seeds of Truth, but I pull from there because really those first Christian teachers have a lot of insight for us. And as always, the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture, which does much of the same. In that commentary, you get a lot of that um, exactness to what the verses are saying in the Greek. And again, here on Seeds of Truth, what I try to do is, is offer more insight there, if not by myself in a monologue with someone else in a dialogue. So anyhow, background important. How about purpose? <laughs> the purpose of this letter is really Paul's impassioned appeal to Philemon, urging him to welcome back one of his runaway slaves, which I just mentioned, uh, one Simon's. Formerly, one Simus was a useless servant who not only deserted his master, but may have stolen money or property from him as well. Uh, we see this in verses 11 to 18, uh, something going on there. In the meantime, one Simus has become a Christian through an encounter with St. Paul. So the apostle Paul is now sending him back to Philemon and asking that he be received no longer as a bond servant, but as a beloved brother in Christ. Secondarily, in relationship to its purpose, we could say that Paul asks that preparations be made for his own arrival pending his expected release from prison. Uh, he is being held against his own will, and he sees the value of what it means to not be held against one's will. So what did I just say about the importance of understanding uh, these captivity epistles out from Paul's own experience as one who is being captive, held captive, as one who is being held in prison? He cannot do what he would normally do. He's making use of it for sure. So he writes this letter to Philemon to encourage him to free one Simus from this reality of being a bondservant that he might be now more free to serve the body of Christ. Again, very important to appreciate the backdrop there. All right, how about its themes and characteristics? I mean, really, how much can we say it's 25 verses? Well, there are some things to be attentive to for sure. Philemon is the shortest of Paul's surviving letters and certainly one of his most personal. Now, it's interesting here because throughout the epistle, Paul shows himself adept at the art of persuasion as he tries to win over both the head and heart of Philemon. He really wants to win over the mind of Philemon and at the same time his heart that he might adhere to this request to free his bondservant. So he, he really does enter into this art of persuasion. Have we not talked about this before in just general terms as relates to apologetics or evangelization? There is an art to persuasion. There is an art to debate. 
There is an art to argument. And all of those arts are rooted in the one person of Jesus Christ. Once you establish that Jesus Christ is the center of your persuasion, debate, or argument, then you have begun that persuasion, debate, and argument rightly. And certainly, St. Paul does that here, and and we'll talk about that. So insistent are St. Paul's pleas on behalf of one Simon that Paul is barely able to hold back from demanding that Philemon comply with his requests. We'll see that in verses 8 to 9. Theological and spiritual themes so prominent in St. Paul's other writings, we could say, as the commentaries do, are more often assumed than they are asserted in Philemon. So one of the things we will do is, when we need to, kind of draw back and gather those themes that we need to assume so as to better understand what St. Paul is saying. In the end, my friends, the impact of this short letter cannot be felt without some understanding of just not the background in general terms, but more specifically, background as it relates to how slavery was an accepted institution in the Roman civilization of the first century. In point of fact, as the Ignatius commentary highlights, the slave population in Paul's day outnumbered the population of free citizens. Think about that, that the slave population actually outnumbered uh, the population of free citizens. Very important. So what we have here is Paul deciding to intercede for the life and well-being of this newly baptized slave, one Simus. Paul insists that he return to his master to make amends for his desertion and thievery, and the apostle is even willing and this is most striking, I think, today, even willing to pay Philemon whatever one Simus owes him to ensure that justice is served. We'll talk more about this in verses 18 to 19. You know, we often ask the question, you know, gosh, how much should I intervene in this situation or that situation? (laughs) Does not St. Paul intervene in the life of one Simus in this letter? For those of you who have not read this letter and are waiting for me to go through it verse by verse, I'll tell you he does. I want to encourage you, by the way, to go ahead and read this letter verse by verse. Take it before the Blessed Sacrament and read it carefully. Allow the inspired Word of God to speak to you and gather what St. Paul is doing here. He is intervening on behalf of another brother. Maybe you are someone out there who is asking yourself the question whether or not you should intervene on behalf of a brother or sister in Christ because, well, you've got so much to do, and if I intervene, then, well, maybe it'll take away from what I'm doing. We all have our primary vocations in life. Ask God, God, are you asking me to intervene in this situation? How are you asking me to intervene in this situation? We need to be there for our family members, our spouses, yes, for sure, of course, But we are also called to be there for our brothers and sisters in Christ who might be going through something, maybe something very practical, and they need your intervention. Maybe you have the means to help them financially. St. Paul here is willing to intervene financially. He wants to de-burden his brothers and sisters in Christ. As he goes deeper in Christ, he realizes that this is part of his vocation. And so today, this evening, ask yourself the question, are we called to 
help carry that cross for our brother and sister in Christ? Ask yourself that question. Always we help carry that cross in Christ because he's our support, obviously, but there are practical things we can do. So if you are one who who says, well, I've got too much to do. I can't worry about that. Maybe not. Maybe not. If you are stretching yourself so thin and you don't have that kind of elasticity to be able to help three, four, five people, you probably don't. That's fine. I get that. I don't. Don't go to the aid of three or four or five people if you can't, right? Because ultimately that can be a trap of, of Satan. You get spread so thin you can no longer be present to your primary vocation. But again, and I cannot reinforce this enough, there might be a situation where you are called to intervene and be okay with that. Because if we do, quite simply, we are imitating St. Paul here, are we not? Now, Paul is challenging Philemon with a standard far higher than Roman law, and that is, of course, the standard of Christian mercy. Not only should this master forgive and forget the wrongdoing of his returning slave, but St. Paul, in verses 16 to 21, drops several hints that Philemon should emancipate him entirely. Since Philemon himself has experienced the mercy and freedom of Christ in his own life, Paul reasons it is now time for him to extend that gift to one Simus, huh? who has likewise been freed by Christ and, and is coming home as a brother in the Lord. God desires to give his mercy. We just need to receive it. And when we receive his mercy... My dear friends, be rest assured, we are called to then share in that mercy so we enter into God's merciful love. This is what St. Paul desires here. All right. Now, to read these verses and to read this very short letter, in many ways can act like a kind of precursor to all of his letters. If you were joining me on Seeds of Truth for the first time and you weren't with us as we were going through First and Second Corinthians, that's okay. Pay close attention, because these next two weeks, as we go through this epistle verse by verse, what you have really is a kind of precursor, or maybe we can say better, a microcosm of all of his epistles, because it's all there in these 25 verses. If you did join me in our treatment of First and Second Corinthians, you will probably find yourself saying, gosh, this sounds a lot like what St. Paul said in this chapter and in that verse, because it does. This is an epistle in microcosm. Paul's letter to Philemon, verses 1 to 3. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved and our co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church at your house, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how he starts all of his epistles, huh? So here we have, in the first four words of the letter present, our first translation, where Paul calls himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus, literally a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The little rendering here sounds like Paul is saying that Jesus has imprisoned him, which on some level might appear to contradict Paul's celebration of Jesus as his liberator. 
But <laughs> to read Prisoner for Christ Jesus is to be mindful really of his opening verse to his epistle uh, to Rome, to the Philippians, and also, oh, I believe it's verses 9 and 10 in his letter to the Galatians. He talks about being a slave of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of bold imagery that St. Paul has been so accustomed to using to speak about his radical allegiance to Jesus Christ. Huh? As we will see, my friends, Paul is literally imprisoned in the cause of Jesus, we could say. The Catholic commentary on sacred scripture authored by uh, Father Ham, the Jesuit, uses that phrase, the cause of Jesus. And does this not reflect that sentiment that is expressed in Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 12? I have indeed been taken possession of by Jesus Christ. This is what this phrase is about, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. While one might suspect that uh, this phrase is ambiguous, to understand St. Paul, not at all. And what does that mean for us today? Well, when you possess something, when you have ownership of something, what do you do with that thing? Well, you put it to use, and you put it to use as you see it needs to be put to use, right? You find the proper context for whatever that thing is. When Jesus Christ has taken possession of us, when he owns us, what St. Paul wants us to see is that in the end, he's going to put us to use. But understand something here, my friends. I'm not using use in some utilitarian sense. We're dealing with persons. We're dealing with the will of God. So to say he is going to put us to use, what St. Paul wants us to understand is in the cause for building up the kingdom of God, God is going to use us as a yacht to build up the kingdom of God. And once we have been captured by Jesus Christ, we will desire to serve Jesus Christ. Here I'm reminded of Our Lady's response, the Blessed Virgin Mary's response to the angel Gabriel, let it be to me, right? Let it be to me. And the arising, the arising is this active desiring to do God's will. Once you have been captured by the Spirit of God, you now desire to fulfill the will of God. Possessed, owned, captured, imprisoned, you now live in the cause of Jesus Christ. And this is what he wants us to see for sure. What else here? Well, there's a nice commentary here from St. Ambrose. Earlier I was talking about those first Christian teachers, those church fathers. St. Ambrose says this on the paradox of true freedom. How many masters has one who runs from the one Lord? But let us not run from him. Who will run away from him whom they follow bound in chains, but willing chains, which loose and do not bind? Those who are bound with these chains boast and say, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy. It is more glorious for us to be bound by him than to be set free and loosed from others. Hmm. There you have it, that great paradox of true freedom. Because you see, my friends, it is not about a freedom where we are licensed to do whatever we want to do. That's not freedom. It is about a freedom 
where we choose to do what we ought to do. And that ought is there because Jesus Christ has established the moral standard. And we know intuitively in our relationship with Jesus Christ what that ought is all about. That ought is always about the sacrifice. You want to know where God's will is in your life? Where is God calling you to sacrifice? Then you will be truly free. To be free is to choose, and to choose is to deny self for the greater glory of God. Amen? Amen. Boy, this evening went quickly. I look, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are out of time. As always, my friends, if you have any questions, comments, observations about anything we are talking about here on Seeds of Truth, please do not hesitate to email me or um, call me. And please do not forget, um, if you are one who is interested in a particular Old Testament book, especially Genesis, Exodus, or Isaiah, let me know which one you prefer. I'm kind of weighing those right now because those are the three that seem to be uh, the most consistent, and I'm, I'm looking for um, <laughs> one that might be the most interesting to you right now as I try to meet you where you're at, all right? All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to reflect with the beauty of your word, your word that penetrates hearts, cuts through the fog, and leads us to a life of sanctity and holiness. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.